Good morning, everyone. My name is Dave Koskinen, and today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child. Well, for Christmas this past year, my family, one of the gifts that my family received from my parents was the state park sticker. So now I can get into all the Wisconsin state parks. And so this past week, after supper one evening, we went to Kohler Andre State Park just to get on the beach for a while and spend some time out of the heat next to the lake. And I had kind of forgotten that when my son goes to the beach, he, he's just wild. I mean, he just does everything. It's like in the sand, in the water, uh, you know, and then he's uh, jumping and playing in the sand, and now he's in the water again, and he's going across a, a log, and this is kind of a real-time picture because it shows you that, you know, one child is mature enough to pose for a picture, and the other one is just busy doing, doing his own thing. And at one point, it was while we were on the beach that I found this stick, and I picked this stick up, and I was like, you know, this thing makes me feel pretty powerful. And I was like, what if I just carried this around all the time? Like, I'd be much more menacing. I mean, like, think of it. Like, I'd be like, you, make me a sandwich, you know? Like, you, go get me gas, you know? It's like, wow, I could really command people. And I said, I said to Morgan, I said, like, wasn't it Teddy Roosevelt or somebody that said something about, like, speaking softly and carrying a big stick? And Morgan said, I don't know, just put that thing down, you're going to hurt somebody. <laughs> and so I was starting to wave this around, you know, and, and I said to my family, I said, this is great. This reminds me of the rod of discipline that we're going to be preaching about. And, and they said, and they didn't care because they're just like, stop waving that around like a lunatic, you know? And I, I didn't. I kept it so that I could bring it as a visual aid for, for today's sermon because today I might just preach the whole time with this thing. I like this. But today we're talking about a theme in the book of Proverbs uh, called the rod of discipline. And uh, this theme runs throughout Proverbs, and today we get into this theme with our passage that Dave read to us about discipline. Look at what Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12 says. It says, oh, this is what I said. I said, when I preach with this thing, wouldn't this be great? Now I could be like a teacher. My child, don't reject, you know, like now I can point to the screen. Or like Apostles' Creed, you know, I believe in God the Father. And Morgan's like, a bouncing ball would be so much better than you, <laughs> you know, pointing at the screen there. But, but uh, boy, I do feel really good with this. This might become a permanent fixture. So, but yeah, it says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And so we have this discipline theme of a parent children. And we who are parents in this room know that our job as believing parents, number one, is to raise children who love the Lord and have owned their faith for themselves. And then number two, to launch them as a productive member of society who can get a job, make their own income, support their own life, and contribute to the society that we live in. So number one, we want to raise believing children. And number two, we want to raise children who contribute to our society. And that takes a childhood of discipline and correction and raising our children in the right way. I remember a particular moment of creative discipline on the part of my parents when I was growing up. We were having Christmas with the Vervelde side, and I had gotten my gift from whatever relatives had my name. And I tore open the package excitedly to find a pair of red sweatpants. <laughs> Where's the Nerf gun? 
Where's the Lego set? Like, this isn't a gift. This is the type of thing my mom would buy for me anyway because I have to have clothes to wear. So I was thoroughly disappointed and I just kind of quietly put the gift back in the box and just set it aside and I didn't say a word. Now my dad had happened to be recording that whole circumstance on the family video camera, the camcorder with the eye socket. So when we got home, here's where it got really creative. When we got home, my parents put the VHS in the VCR and they had me watch back me opening that gift. So now I'm watching myself open the gift and respond to it with the look of disgust on my face as I just quietly set it aside. And they said, now how do you think that looks to your relatives who gave you the gift? <sighs> oh, yikes, not good. And then they went on to explain how you don't have to like the gifts you receive, but you do have to receive them in gratitude. And you do have to say thank you for the gift, even if you don't like it. And so that lesson really stuck with me because of this creative discipline to have me watch back myself. I don't even need a beating for that one. It's like that lesson still sticks to this day, receive in gratitude. And this theme of the rod of discipline fits hand to glove with this theme of the foolish person and the wise person in the book of Proverbs. The wise person does not need the rod of discipline because they've learned. However, the foolish person needs the rod of discipline to be corrected. The foolish person needs the rod of discipline to learn. Look at Proverbs 15. It says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. And even the ESV, Proverbs 22:15 in the ESV, uses the word rod. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Look at Proverbs 10:13. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. So it even talks about beatings. A fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him. So this is Proverbs 14:3. But the words of the wise keep them safe. And so you see this theme of the rod of discipline comes out in the book of Proverbs frequently, and it even talks about the rod of discipline beating someone to learn. Now, if you're getting squeamish or uncomfortable with this theme, I, I totally understand. I can completely understand if the idea of beatings as a way of correction or physical discipline kind of make your heart turn over or if you have a visceral reaction to that because we've all seen circumstances where physical discipline quickly leaves the boundaries of discipline and enters the boundaries of abuse. That can happen so quickly. I mean, I think of in 20, or back, football fans were appalled. Um, I think it was 2014 or so when um, pictures of the son of former Minnesota Vikings running back Adrian Peterson surfaced online, and his legs bore the stripes of his dad's physical discipline. And he admitted, Adrian Peterson admitted to using a switch. And in a carrying out of injustice, Peterson pled down from felony child abuse to no jail time, 80 hours of community service, and a $4,000 fine. Are you kidding me? It's a slap on the wrist for the way that he treated his child. And then in 2014, a book was published um, by two authors, or, I'm sorry, uh, 1994. A book was published by two authors called To Train Up a Child, and without getting into the details, 
the methods of discipline advocated for in the book constitute nothing less than physical abuse. And to make matters worse, the authors claim Christianity and use the book of Proverbs as their reasoning for these methods that they advocate for in the book. And even worse, three child deaths are linked to the methods in this book. It's awful. It's disgusting. And so if you have a visceral reaction, if you are disgusted by the theme of the rod of discipline, I totally get it. I totally get if you're disgusted or grossed out by this. Because the most heinous things have come as a result of physical discipline. And it's leave the realm of physical discipline and turn into something bad, something sinful, something abusive. So I want to grant that this is a difficult theme for us to reckon with as we read the book of Proverbs. But yet, it's in there. Right? The rod of discipline is in the Bible, and so we've got to deal with it. We can't just ignore it because we don't like it. I recently heard, maybe somebody knows, I recently heard about a founding father who, when he read something in his Bible and he didn't like it, he'd just cross it out. I'm like, boy, that's pretty... Thomas Jefferson, thank you, Bob, yeah. It's like, boy, you wouldn't have much Bible left if you did that. Pretty presumptuous, right? So it's in the Bible, we've got to deal with it. So how do we deal with this rod of discipline theme that can be very difficult because it's such a sensitive subject and so often has resulted in bad things? Well, as you read your Bibles... There's a phrase that I want to give you. And that phrase is, to them, for us all. To them, for us all. As we read our Bibles, we have to remember that the Bible was written to them. It was written to a different group of people in a different place, in a different time, in a different culture, in a different part of the world. But yet, just because it was written to them, it still is for us all. It's just as much for them as it is for us, and it's just as much for us as it is for them, but it was written to them. So as you're reading your Bibles, remember, to them, for us all. There's some cultural translation that has to happen here. If you ever come across a question in your Bible and you're like, I don't get this, this seems kind of weird, this seems kind of strange, remember, to them, for us all. Perhaps there's something cultural going on there. And we do have to acknowledge that there is a cultural component going on in the rod of discipline. To apply to them, for us all, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is Israel's wisdom compendium, largely authored by King Solomon, who reigned for 40 years from 960 to 920 BC. So Solomon's writing most of the book of Proverbs in his reign, 960 to 920, and then scholars believe that it was finally completed and and put together as the compendium that it is today, sometime during the Israelite exile. So it's written to the Israelites, but it's for us all. It's for the Israelites, and it's for us as well. And the rod of discipline was a common theme, not only for Israel and King Solomon and the people he led, but it was also a common theme for the Greco-Roman culture, for Paul and for Jesus in their day. Look at Deuteronomy. Now, this is Mosaic law. This is a prescription for what to do with a young man who falsely accuses his fiancée of infidelity. Okay? Look at Deuteronomy 22.18. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him. So the punishment for a young man who falsely accuses his fiancée of infidelity is actually a physical. They're used to this. This is Mosaic law. And then in Deuteronomy 25 verses 1 to 3, we're told what should happen when there's a dispute between two Israelites. Suppose two people take a dispute to court and the judges declare that the one is right and the other is wrong. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, 
the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in the presence with the numbers of lashes appropriate to the crime. So the prescription is a beating, and do you see the boundaries placed around that? It needs to be commensurate to the infraction, and then he finishes it up. But never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 would publicly humiliate your neighbor. So this is in their law. Beatings are the punishment for wrongdoing in the Mosaic law for the Israelites. But notice the boundaries, right? That there's a moment where you leave discipline and go into infracting now. So that's the Israelite culture. And then most famously, Jesus was beaten and humiliated before his crucifixion. So beatings were common in the Greco-Roman era. Pilate orders Jesus beaten in John 19.1. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip. I kind of forget sometimes that proceeding preceding his crucifixion he's beaten right before he's crucified he's already torn to shreds through the beating and then Paul was no stranger to beatings and he was actually given the beatings prescribed in the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy look at 2 Corinthians 11:24 this is Paul talking five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes so he received the beatings prescribed in the Deuteronomic in the Deuter- Deuteronomic in the law in Deuteronomy <laughs> he received that punishment different times, five different times. So we have to remember the phrase to them for us all when we read our Bibles. It's for us. It's for them. But it was written to them. Okay. So let's go back to our scripture reading today. How do we approach this theme of discipline? Look at Proverbs 3 verse 11. It says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. So I think there's two words that kind of encapsulate and capture our response to the Lord's discipline. And the first word comes from Proverbs 3, verse 11. The first word is receptive. I think we have to be receptive to the Lord's discipline, which is what Proverbs 3, verse 11 is telling us. This is hard. Being receptive to the Lord's discipline is not the intuitive response. It's not the normal response. Look at what Proverbs 3, verse 11 says in the ESV. I like how they render it. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise it. Receive it. And it's hard to receive discipline because it's painful. It's difficult. You don't feel good about it. It's not like, yay, I'm being disciplined. It's like, ugh, I'm being disciplined. So receptiveness to the Lord's discipline is the natural response, but yet do not despise the Lord's discipline. Receive it. It's hard to receive discipline, especially in a culture that does everything it can to avoid pain. We have Roombas that take away the pain of vacuuming. Although I've never, we don't have one, but I've never met a person who is satisfied with their Roomba. I've only ever met someone who complains about their Roomba and ends up doing it by hand anyway. So we have Roombas that try to take away the pain of vacuuming and don't successfully do so, and then you get mad at the Roomba, which only causes more pain. Text messages are an easy way to avoid the pain of a face-to-face conversation. Oh, we're way more difficult to talk to that person, so I'm just going to text them. Save myself the pain of going through the face-to-face conversation. Many of you know that earlier this year, two cats joined our family, Charles and Ron. So I was telling my, his, his real name, his full name is Charles Hayden Savage, the little gentleman, and then Ron. Uh, but... Um, Actually, I couldn't. Oh, this is Ron, and that's Charles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bryn would know. Um, I have to look at their collars, <laughs> or their or their paws, or their paws, or have a. Yeah. 
also, I was telling, after we got the cats, you know, I was talking to my friend who also has a pet cat, and we were talking about litter boxes. Is this the type of thing you talk about when you're a full-grown man? Man, my life is lame. But we were talking about litter boxes nonetheless, and he has an automatic litter box that does the sifting for you. So you don't even have to go through the pain of doing the litter box. I was like, wow. Bryn does the litter box in our household, and she does it faithfully and regularly, and we're very proud of her. She doesn't even complain. We don't even have to ask her to do it. She just does it every day. She does such a good job. So Bryn goes through the pain of it in our household, but my friend got somebody else to take the pain away, the automatic litter box. We got a pharmaceutical industry that's printing their own money right now because they have the recipe to take away the pain. We live in a culture that does everything it can to avoid pain, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says expect pain. Look at 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when you go through pain. Instead, be very glad. Receive the Lord's discipline. Receive the pain. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. These trials place you right where Christ was as he suffered. And in that suffering, you will have the wonderful joy of seeing him yield to all the world. So the pain has a purpose. First of all, expect it, just as Jesus expected it. And secondly, it's not empty. That's the good news, is even though it's painful, it has a reason. It's not just pain. It is the environment within which the Lord works and forms and fashions us into the people he wants us to be so that someday we can meet the person he's been conforming us to, which is his son Jesus when his glory is revealed to all the world. So the pain has purpose. It's the Lord's cutting on you and doing the necessary surgery to cut away the hard heart, to give you a heart of flesh, to train you in godliness, to make you linger and long, linger in the world less and pine for eternity with him, to change your affections from the things of this world to the things of him. You know, I've had a lot of mountaintop experiences in my life. I've been blessed to be raised in the church, and so spiritual mountaintop experiences are plentiful in my life. Maybe the, one of the first ones that I can remember was being a freshman in high school, and my youth group took a trip out to Estes Park, Colorado, where we went to a place called Ravencrest Chalet. And as part of that trip, I remember one night we just slept in our sleeping bags out on the ground. It's so dry, you know, and all the stars were in the sky. It was just completely beautiful. The only problem was is you're on a mountain. It's like all night long you're losing your pillow. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that was an amazing experience. One of the first really, you know, spiritual trips I had ever taken in my life. And, and then uh, in college I played in the orchestra because my life is just one lame thing after another. I played in the orchestra and um, I, uh, I, we, we had the opportunity to to go on tour um, to Norway, Sweden, and Denmark where we would play concerts and um, present the gospel. Uh, so that was pretty incredible. I'd never been overseas before. Crazy, they don't make lines there. They told us, don't wait. You just gotta push your way to the front. Like, whoa, and they're not kidding. You know, we kind of wait and people just and so finally we're like, okay, <laughs> you know. But that was an incredible experience. And then as a youth pastor, you know, some of my highlights were going to City Church of Compton every other year. Those were mountaintop experiences, incredible experiences. You feel, you call them mountaintop experiences because you feel like you're on top of the world. But I did not grow 
in the mountaintop experiences. I did not become more like Christ in the mountaintop experiences. My faith did not blossom in the mountaintop experience. I grew in the pain. My faith was matured in the pain. In the dark night of the soul, then left, Lord. This yoke is too big for me. This challenge is too much for me. And you better show up, because you told me you would. And I'm here because I'm trying to serve you, and so now you better be with me in this. Because I'm out of ideas, and I'm out of competency, and I'm out of ability. If you don't show up, I might be destroyed. Because right now I got the lie track going through my head. I have the wounds fresh all over. And I can't heal these wounds. You're the only one who can heal these wounds. You're the only one who can dispel this lie track because it's, the lie track is so strong and those wounds are so deep that I'm starting to believe I might not be worth anything at all. And so you better come and counter that and tell me I'm your beloved son because I'm doubting my worth right now. You better show up, God. Because if you don't, I might just crumble. And God, this pain and these wounds are so deep that if I didn't have any discipline in my mind at all, they're all I would think about. They swim through my dreams. They hit me hard afresh when I surfaced consciousness in the morning. God, I, I need your spirit to put some hard boundaries around that, to give me the strength to do the appropriate psychological work to cut out the disgusting parts of my heart and to form me into the person you want me to be. Because I'm, I'm out of it. It's in the pain that I grew not in the mountaintop experience. It's in the pain I became or was becoming the person God wants me to be. So how do we respond to the Lord's discipline? Well, number one, we're receptive because it's in the discipline that the Lord does his work conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. And number two, we are confident in his discipline. There's good news in the discipline, you all. Good news because he's shaping us to the people he wants us to be, but also because it affirms our childhood. Look at Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. When we receive the Lord's discipline, it is affirmation that we're his children, that he loves us that we do indeed belong to him and that he numbers us amongst his family. That's the good news. We can be confident because like, <gasps> he loves me. Ooh, I don't like being corrected, but he's correcting me because he loves me and I'm his daughter or I'm his son. The Lord's discipline means we are his children and we belong to him. Parents in the room, you ever have that dynamic where it largely happens like when your kids are with a group of kids and then like there's some other kids that aren't your kids in this group of kids that are behaving in such a way that if they were your own children, you would, you would correct that and you would discipline that. But you don't 
because they're not your kids and their parents are standing right there. It's like, that's not my place to discipline them. I don't know what their expectations are as parents and their parents are right here. You don't discipline other people's kids. I mean, unless you're a teacher or are in some official capacity where you've been tasked to do that. But even so, there's boundaries around that. You're functioning in that role for a while, then you leave that role. You don't discipline other people's kids. You discipline your own kids, right? So usually we'll like pull our kids aside and be like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, okay, you know, like, okay, good. And send them back into the fray, you know. But you don't discipline other people's kids. A while back, I was at my friend's house just earlier this summer. We were talking in his driveway. His kids were out in the yard and out in the driveway shooting hoops and playing and so forth. And he was, you know, facing me, talking to me, but his kids were to his back. Like they're playing in the background. So he can't see his kids because he's facing me. And at one point I watched as his son began to climb a tree right next to their house. Fine. But then I saw him proceed from the tree onto the roof of their garage. It's like he used the tree as a ladder to the roof of his garage. And, and, then, and then he goes like this to his brother. His brother tosses him the basketball and he shoots a hoop from the garage roof. He made it. It was a pretty impressive shot, actually. But so as he gets onto the roof, I'm kind of one eye on the boy, one eye on my friend. And I just said to my friend, I said, you might want to turn around and see what's going on right now. Because that's his kid. That's not my kid. That's his kid. Right? So I could have said, hey, get down from there. That's not safe. But that's not my place. He's not my kid. That's my friend's kid. And my friend is right here. So I just said to my friend, you might want to turn around and see what's going on. So he turns around and he goes, get down from there. I don't ever want to see you do that again. What are you thinking? You know? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I would have said. But it's his kid, not my kid. You don't discipline other people's kids. You discipline your own kids. So when we undergo the Lord's discipline, it affirms, hey, we're God's kids. He's our father. You discipline your own kids. If we were never disciplined, then we ought to doubt, am I God's child? I'm serious about this. If you never under question in you, that should say, do I really believe? Am I really God's child? Because he disciplines the one he loves. In fact, Jesus says as much in Revelation 3.19. Look at this wonderful verse. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your way. Repent. I know that's difficult. I know that hurts. But the beauty in all that is, guess what? You're my child. In your repentance, yes, there'll probably be shame. In your repentance, yes, there will be brokenness and guilt and all these things that you're going to have to process through and deal with. But the good news is, is that in your repentance, he is affirming your son or daughtership. Because he disciplines the ones he loves. What do we do with this rod of discipline theme in the book of Proverbs? Because it can be difficult and it can make us uncomfortable, but how do we approach the rod of discipline in the book of Proverbs? Well, number one, we're receptive because it's in the pain and the discipline that the Lord works on us. And number two, we are confident because it affirms that we are indeed God's children. Thank you, Jesus, for correcting the ones you love. Amen.